the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. So glad you're with us. So is Pete Paquette. He's our engineer, gets us on the air. Andrew Herdliska is the producer. And Evan Owens is the first guest. He's in Nashville, co-founder of Reboot Recovery, author of Healing What's Hidden, Practical Steps to Overcoming Trauma. Evan, welcome to Orlando. Thanks so much for having me on. Excited to be here. Uh, tell me about this book. How did it come about? Yes. Yeah, so 12 years ago, my wife and I hosted some friends for dinner. We started having a conversation about trauma. Uh, it kind of, you know, just it evolved into that. And one thing led to another. And uh, it was as if healing came into the room and began to do its work. And that really started us on a journey to build a, a nonprofit called Reboot Recovery. And we can talk more about that. And that eventually led to the book. And so we, we've been working in the trauma world now for about 15 years, helping people um, move past some dark times in their life and embrace the brighter future that awaits them. Evan, you open your book with a chapter called Restoring What Seems Broken Beyond Repair. Uh, what are you writing there as the book opens? Yeah, I think a lot of times when we go through traumas in our life, we can feel like we're broken. We can feel like we're damaged goods. And I hope that what people will take away from the book is that you're not broken, you're wounded. And wounds can heal if proper steps are taken. Matter of fact, we, we make the word trauma uh, so complicated, but actually what a lot of people don't know is that the word trauma actually comes from the, the same Greek word. Trauma is a Greek word meaning wound. And that's really what it is. And so if we can reframe it as, hey, I'm wounded, I'm not damaged goods, I'm not permanently broken, I'm wounded, and therefore a wound, like any wound, can heal as proper steps are taken, and we want to help them with those proper steps in our book. And then you move to this topic, shutting down destructive responses. What does that mean? Yeah, there are, uh, uh, all of our research showed there was actually four default responses, in other words, responses that if we don't uh, apply intentionality to them, when crisis or trauma in, intersects our life, what we'll do is we'll have these default responses, which is that we'll deny, we'll cry, we'll numb, or we'll run. And these are the four default responses that actually end up making things worse instead of better. They lead us further away from healing instead of closer to it. And so by identifying these default responses, we invite readers uh, to identify maybe where some of their go-to default responses are. Um, whether it's numbing or, or running or denying or crying or whatever it may be. And, uh, and then hopefully once they identify maybe where they're blocked, then they can start finding that path forward and, and overcome that piece of, of their journey. We're chatting with Evan Owens, the book Reboot. It's about recovery. Uh, third topic, feeling it all without falling apart. Explain that, Evan. Yeah, again, so the, the nonprofit that we run is called Reboot Recovery, and what we do is we have people, uh, we train everyday people, peers, in other words, to run trauma healing courses, whether in their church or in their community or wherever it is. And one of the things that we've encountered, uh, you know, we have 400-plus locations being run every single week, is that a lot of times what really keeps us from healing is that we are uncertain how to approach the strong emotions that we're going to feel if we do. There's this sense of if I feel it, 
at all. I have to feel it all. And that feels overwhelming. And so I just don't go there. I kind of put that away, tuck it away, and I don't revisit it. And I think what's really challenging about strong emotions is that they make us feel out of control. And nobody likes the feeling of feeling out of control. And so what we teach people in this chapter, um, and we also teach it in our courses at Reboot Recovery, is, you know, so if you're reading Healing What's Hidden, you're going to learn, how do I approach strong emotions? How do I feel it all without falling apart and realizing that uh, emotions can be a wonderful gauge for pointing us to maybe where we're wounded and then leveraging those emotions to let them use their natural uh, processes. And I'll say one of the thoughts, then I'll move on, is um, a lot of times we have this idea in, in life that there's positive and negative, there's good and bad emotions. And this, this sensation that, um, that I should deny or stuff away these sad emotions because I should just think positive thoughts, right? That, and I think that when we do that, we kind of rob ourselves of sort of a God-given natural process that sadness or grief or some of these negative emotions were actually put there as grief to help the gears of healing start to turn. And so we teach people how to use those emotions to their advantage, really, to start healing. Explain this topic, understanding the true source of your trauma. Yeah, so um, when we talk to people and, and have counseled many, many people over the years, uh, if I said the word trauma, most people think it's a mental health topic. Um, they would also say, okay, yeah, trauma can wound your body. And if I asked them, I'd say, well, what makes up a human being? They'd say, well, it's a, we're mind, body, and soul. And I'd say, okay, well, so if trauma can wound your mind and trauma can wound your body, well, then would it stand to reason that trauma can wound your soul? And if so, what would the symptoms of a wounded soul be? And how would you go about healing a wounded soul? And that is what we challenge people to think through is um, – is to identify not just the the surface level woundedness, which a lot of times is the symptoms. I have anxiety, I have depression, I have addiction, I have fill of life. We call those physical fruit. But to actually look deeper and ask, what is the spiritual root of that physical fruit? How do we dig down and heal those root wounds? And um, and then to to identify, are we do we have a mental, physical, and or soul wound? And if so, uh, how do we go about healing those? And so that's the the point of that chapter. My guest, Evan Owens, Nashville, Tennessee, co-founder of Reboot Recovery. Book is called Healing What's Hidden. Uh, We move on into part two and uh, uh, topic five, loss. Living boldly when you're uncertain. What does that mean, Evan? Well, loss puts us all on a road trip that we didn't want to go on. It puts us on a journey that we didn't sign up for. And the thing about grief is, is that it's like a road trip that you sign that, that you're stuck on that you don't know how long it's going to take. You don't know what exactly the, the turns it's going to take. You don't even necessarily know what the defined def- destination is. Like, when will I be done? When will grief end? And so it can leave a lot of us feeling uh, extremely uncertain. What we ask a lot of why questions. Why did this happen? Why now? Uh, what will I do in the future? What will life look like for me after this terrible incident that's happened, this tragedy, this this grief, um, this loss? And in this book, what we or in this chapter, what we do is we invite people to um, one give themselves grace to realize that every grief cycle model they've ever seen, where it's sort of this very linear process. That's not how it looks. It looks a whole lot more like spaghetti than it does a linear straight line. And then number two is we let people have an opportunity to be able to identify what are some steps they can do to move from asking the why questions to asking uh, the how questions. And so a why question is, well, why did this happen? Well, we may not know that answer this side of heaven, but a how question has an answer. How can I start to uh, trust again? How can I start to uh, live a life of, of joy again. How can I get back to ABC? And so we give people a process to move from some of the why questions, which can sometimes leave us a little bit stuck and irritated uh, because we don't get the answers that we are seeking to how questions, and we give them the process to do that. Guilt, shame, and regret. Moving forward when you're stuck in the past. Tell us about that, Evan. 
Um, yeah, so guilt, shame, and regret. We call them the triplets. They are the uh, uh, they're evil triplets. If if we misuse them, that they um, when we go through a trauma, there are certainly going to be times where we feel guilt. When guilt does not serve its purpose, it becomes false guilt, which leads to shame, which leads then to regret. And so what we always tell people is, you know, guilt says that I am, that I've done something bad. Shame says that I am bad. And we really analyze the two types of guilt, real guilt, which is called conviction. It's when we've done something wrong that can lead us to a change in our life that can uh, help us get back on the right path. That's conviction. But what about when we feel guilty, even though we haven't done anything wrong? Well, what's that called? That's false guilt. And that false guilt, if we don't identify it, that triplet will misbehave and it will actually start to wreak havoc in our lives. And pretty soon it will lead us down a dark path of shame and regret. And, uh, and it'll, you know, I would say that, uh, these, these triplets will either help us move forward or they'll leave us stuck looking backwards. And how that determined is based on if we identify if it's real guilt, false guilt, and then how we respond to it. And so we have a, a process that we've used for thousands and thousands of people through our reboot recovery courses. And if people are hurting and they want to register for a course, they can go and do that. But, but we have a whole process we take people through to, to heal from guilt, shame, and regret. Evan, are you pretty amazed about the growth of your organization and the number of people you seem to be reaching? Yeah, you know, I, every week it's amazing to me when when it was just my wife and I and a few people in our living room. Uh, you know, it's it's incredible to realize how many Evan and Jennys there are out there who want to do more than raise money or raise awareness about trauma and mental health. They actually want to help their neighbors, their family members, their friends, their coworkers. They actually want to be a part of the solution. And we live in a time where there's a nationwide shortage of nearly 30,000 clinical professionals. And so the truth is, is that even if people want to see professionals, sometimes you just, there's, you can't get in to see one. They're, they're too busy. And so all of us have an opportunity to step up and really provide a type of community care and common sense counseling and support to one another that really can be life changing. And we give people a system to be able to do that. And every day I'm amazed to see how many people are stepping forward and saying, I want to start a reboot group in my hometown, in my church, in my community. For, and they might only serve 25 people a year, but when you multiply that across the nation, you know we've been honored to now have 23,000 people who have graduated programs, and um, and many of them have went on to embrace um, healing and, and a future that they didn't think would ever be possible again, and they now serve as testimonies uh, to others that healing is truly possible no matter what kind of trauma you experience. Well, we're visiting with uh, Evan Owens, Healing What's Hidden, the name of the book. We have another segment with Evan. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Evan Owens speaks to us from Nashville, Tennessee. The book, Healing What's Hidden, Practical Steps to Overcoming Trauma. Well, we've arrived at topic number seven, Evan. Rejection, neglect, and abandonment. Knowing you're worthy when you feel worthless. Tell us more. When people think of trauma, they often think of bad things happening to them, a bad car accident, abuse, um, you know, some type of, of mass shooting. They think of something like that. But a lot of times, the worst kinds of traumas are when the right things don't happen to us. How many of us experienced trauma because we were neglected as children or we were abandoned when we were younger or we were rejected by somebody? And those wounds are just as difficult to heal as any kinds of wounds, and they can have repercussions across our entire lives. And in fact, uh, really the root of this is the wound of betrayal, right? That someone betrayed the trust that we placed in them. We believed they were going to protect or provide or fill in the blank, and they didn't. 
And so we help identify that root wound, right? The root wounds are uh, guilt, shame, and regret, um, neglect, abandonment. We've covered two of them. And then we're going to talk about others in the future, but we've got these, these root wounds. And so this is the second type of a root wound that we help people identify and then heal from. Let's move on to topic eight, hurt and abuse. Finding peace when your life is full of fear. Mm-hmm. If anybody is listening and they've ever been in an abusive situation, they know how their home doesn't feel like home. I think about the, uh, Olive Garden slogan, right? When you're here, your family. For people who grew up in abusive situations or who are currently in an abusive or hurtful situation, um, and abuse can be, you know, physical, but all abuse is mental as well, right? So if you're in a physical situation, you're also in a mentally abusive situation or a spiritually abusive situation. But, uh, you know, the, for them, instead of it reading, you know, when you're here, your family, when they think about their home, they don't have a home. They just have a house with, with people in it, and their home is a place of violence <laughs> and a, a place of, you know, a place of abuse and other things like that. And, and so I say all that because for them it might read more like, you know, when you're here, you wish you weren't instead of when you're here, your family. And uh, for me, going home is a comforting thought. I want to go home. For my kids, I hope that's the case, but that's not the case for everybody. And so people who have dealt with hurt and abuse in their life, they experience sort of an invisible homelessness where they don't feel, you know, with, with physical abuse, they don't feel safe in their own homes. With psychological abuse, they don't feel safe and they don't feel at home in their own minds. With spiritual abuse, they don't feel at home in their own souls, right? And so there's this hidden homelessness that sort of begins to exist where we're not sure exactly where home base is anymore. And so we talk about how do you find that? How do you find that after you've been in an abusive or even if, if you're currently in an abusive situation? I want you to talk to us about reaping the rewards of forgiveness. Why is that important? I think most of us misunderstand what forgiveness is and is not. And because we misunderstand what it is, we are hesitant to do it. I meet people all the time and I say, is there somebody you need to forgive? And they say, no, I think I'm, I'm good. And after a short two to three minute exercise, they had a list of two or three people that they realized they never really forgave. And when I asked them why they didn't forgive, it's a lot of times because their understanding of forgiveness is not a true definition. It's, it's allowing the abuse to occur again. It's letting that person back in their life. It's, it's all these, these actions. And I think what we invite people to do is to realize that we forgive first and foremost for our own good. Because there's no support groups for people who have hurt other people. There's only support groups for people who have been hurt. And so we want to first forgive for our own good. Second, forgive because we were forgiven. That we become a forgiving person because we were a forgiven person. And in being able to forgive, we not only uh, offer them an opportunity at redemption, the same one we were offered, but more importantly, we set ourselves free from being forever tied to that person and that past wound. Um, that doesn't mean we have to let them back into our lives. That doesn't mean we have to allow any future abuse, but it does mean that we have to offer uh, forgiveness. And there's so much beauty that can come and so much freedom. I meet so many people who they have issues with anger, they have issues with addiction, and really the root of it all is that they have not learned the skill, and I believe that, that forgiveness is a skill you learn. I don't think we're innately given it. They have not learned the skill of how to forgive themselves and others yet. And when they do, all of a sudden, they feel that anger drain out of them. They feel that need for numbing through the addiction behavior leave them. And so it's my favorite thing to teach people to do is to learn to forgive because there's so much freedom in it. Now, I want you to talk about converting pain into purpose. Yeah, there's um, we we call it the hope factory. There's this... uh, you know, where is hope built? We live in an age where a lot of people are desperate for hope. They're they're turning to anyone and any you know whoever will promise them a little bit of hope. There was a survey done not very long ago that said, all things considered, do you believe the world's getting better or worse? And if you're listening to this, I want you to how would you answer that question? Do you believe it's getting better or worse? And only six percent of people in America believe things were getting better. Everybody else believed things were getting worse. And so if we believe that, then 
obviously the outcome will be a sense of hopelessness because if, if in spite of the fact that there's more churches than there's ever been, there's more nonprofits, we have more medications, we have more access to counselors, we have more after-school programs, we have more public aid, and, and, and you know, if, if in contrast to all that, we still believe things are getting worse, then what's the point? Where can hope be found? And we actually, as a result, a lot of times we'll look at people who are struggling and we will try to help them not have to go through so much pain. In other words, we'll try to take away the suffering in an effort to ease uh, their life and hopefully give them hope. But actually, that's that's kind of counter to what we learn in uh, in Scripture. What we actually learn is a formula that Paul shares with us in, in Romans chapter five that says, you know, not only this will be reasons we rejoice in our sufferings because it produces perseverance, right? And you guys probably know this one produces perseverance, character character and hope, and hope does not put us to shame. And it's interesting because you don't get the hope without first, what's the first ingredient? Suffering. Because that's what leads to perseverance, character, and character hope. So it's interesting. Suffering actually is the catalyst to hope. And so this is the first ingredient in the factory or in the formula of converting pain to purpose. Great. If you've gone through something terrible, you're you're in the early stages of producing some beautiful type of hope that's a treasured gem that you actually can't get without suffering. And so the goal is not to numb or to avoid suffering. The goal is to actually persevere and then let that suffering produce character and then let that character, which is really, uh, you know, leading to hope. And so that's what we talk about in converting. And here's a topic in this uh, closing part of your book, Evan, knowing who you are and becoming who you can be. Why is that important? Well, I mean, if you don't know who you are, then you'll never become who you can be. And the world needs you. The world needs people to be their authentic, God-given, blessed, gifted, talented, uniquely called selves. We need that. Um, There's an old Indian quote, actually, that says, you're not one person, but three, the one that you think you are, the one that others think you are, and then the one you really are. And that's the one, the one you really are, that we're determined to help dig out and find beyond the trauma, beyond the hurt, beyond the abuse, beyond the neglect, beyond the rejection, beyond the guilt, beyond the shame, beyond the regret, beyond all that is the one you truly are. And we want to help restore that. You know, I think about the verse in uh, Genesis, he says, behold, I have come to make all things new. He doesn't say I've come to make all new things. And that's because God's not a God of replacement. He's a God of restoration. And um, and there's something special about a restored house or a restored piece of furniture, a restored car that makes it makes it more valuable than something that's just a new factory version. There's something about it. And that's what we see in people is <clears throat> as they are restored, they actually even become more valuable to the world. They become even more precious to the world. And that's that process of, of knowing who you are so you can become who you can be. Finding hope in unexpected places. That's the chapter with which you end your book. I want to hear about it. Yeah. I've had the honor of sitting across from hundreds and hundreds of people and hearing some of the worst stories you could imagine. Um, Stories where people were murdered in front of them, stories where people were um, tortured, um, Mm. war stories, stories where people were uh, in line of duty deaths and held people in their arms while the police officer died. And I've heard, I've heard, I've sat across from people and I got to tell you that in these stories, here's the amazing thread that I have found is that time and time again, these people, despite all they've been through, time and time again, they actually have a hope that does not disappoint. They have something that when you see it, when you encounter it, it's unmistakable. It's unmistakable because, because they have it's almost like because they've seen the darkness, they can also now see the contrasting light. And I think that not everybody gets there, but I think if we can highlight some of these stories and be able to um, share and say, hey, it's not about what Evan and Jenny know. It's not about what Reboot Recovery knows. It's not about what Healing with Hidden, the book, Healing with Hidden, no, that's not that's not the point. It's really 
about saying, don't take our word for it. Listen to what these people learn in their journey and see if there's something that you can learn from them in their journey. And that's how the book really ends. So we've got 30 seconds left, Evan. <laughs> what do you want people to take from your book and from our chat? Yeah, I would hope that, that if they are hurting or they know someone is hurting, go over to Amazon and purchase Healing What's Hidden by Evan and Jenny Owens. And then if not, if they're not a reader or they don't want to buy the audiobook, um, sign up for a course. Go to RebootRecovery.com and sign up to, to join a program. There's probably one near you. We definitely have some in the Orlando area. And matter of fact, I was just down in Orlando last week visiting the Big Rat with my kids. Mm. And, uh, and 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 had to suffer through that. So I'm I'm looking forward to the yeah. perseverance, character, and hope that's going to be produced after that experience. But yeah, head over to rebootrecovery.com and register for a course or start sign up to lead one. We need more volunteers. Evan Owens has been our guest, co-founder of Reboot Recovery, author of Healing What's Hidden. We have more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Evan Owens, our guest in that first segment from his home in Nashville, Tennessee, talking about his book, Healing What's Inside, What's Hidden, Practical Steps to Overcoming Trauma. We go from Nashville to Atlanta, where we found Jason and Haley Bellotti, franchisee of two Chick-fil-A restaurants in Atlanta. Their book is out, Sink or Sit, One Couple's Journey of Answering God's Call to Step Out of the Boat. So nice to have you both with me. Thank you for your time, and I look forward to our chat. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. So what's the story with this title, Sink or Sit? Tell me about this book and how it came about. Sure. We, uh, we, we're we really referencing there the verse from Matthew fourteen twenty nine, where Peter is called by Jesus to step out of the boat. And uh, he takes a chance to walk on water. And while he continues to walk, he loses a little bit of faith there and starts to sink. But that's where we get the title of just saying, hey, we think it's better to take a chance to sink and walk on water uh, than just sit there. And so it's an opportunity when God calls you, uh, which he has many of us in different areas, to step out of the boat, take a chance, and make a difference for Jesus. Haley, why, yes. why is Chick-fil-A across America such a phenomenal success? What 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 are you, what's your thought? Um, well, I believe that God is the center of the business, and I believe that many of the operators that have chosen to partner with Chick Fil A, that is their um, close relationship with the Lord as well, and so they try to filterate um, their relationship with the Lord also in relationship with the customers and also, more importantly, with the employees um, who are the face um, with the customers day in and day out. Jason, what are your memories of the late Truett Cathy? Yeah, I, I started with Chick-fil-A when I was 15 down at South Lake Mall, which was Bubba Cathy's restaurant at the time, which is his son. And Haley and I met there as teenagers, and I'm, I'm now 53, so mm. the only job I've ever had. So I've got to see up close the Kathy family, and Truett was extremely generous, mm -hmm. and he believed that this business was an opportunity to pour into others, whether it was in your local community or beyond. And uh, as Haley mentioned, specifically with us, we've taken that opportunity to say, hey, this is chicken, but... It's really the people business, mm -hmm. and Truett modeled that day after day from his staff to the employees, to the restaurants, and to the guests. Mm -hmm. Haley, when I say to you, Niger in Western Africa, mm -hmm. uh, what comes to mind? Um, poverty, um, 
darkness, um, and then just the opportunity that we had um, to share Jesus with those people, um, memories, God's provision, miracles, um, Rashid, the orphanage, so, so many, so many thoughts um, and memories. Jason, uh, Schools for Niger, um, an organization that you started, and uh, I want to hear more about it. Sure. We had an operator that actually invited me back in 2006, a Chick-fil-A operator out of Virginia, to go on the first mission. He was building uh, classrooms there, Christian classrooms in a 94% Muslim country. And when I came back, I felt the call to get more people there and to raise money to start building Christian classrooms. And we ultimately partnered with 17 schools over 14 years, affecting 8,000 students, trying to bring the gospel in the classroom with a strong education in a nation that was not known for having a strong education. And so by doing that, we we got people there. We Haley led women's teams every October, and I would lead teams every January on missions trips. And we ended up having over 100 Chick-fil-A operators, staff, uh, spouses go with us over a 14-year period. Tell me more about this future child, Haley, Rachid. <laughs> yes, well, um, at first we just uh, were sponsoring Rashid. We had the opportunity to sponsor him. And then after a couple of years, the Lord made it clear to Jason uh, that we should start the process of trying to adopt Rashid. The process was very difficult. It took us three years. We had two no's, had to fire the first attorney we had hired in Niger, had to wait on the Lord to provide and open up other doors. And then finally, after three years, the Lord um, miraculously uh, opened the doors for us to get Rashid here. Um, he's a miracle. We're so happy to have him as a part of our family um, and just grateful that the Lord would call us to adopt a child halfway around the world. Tell me how he's doing. How is he growing? What, uh, what are his interests? What's his future mm-hmm. look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he got here when he was 14 and, uh, he, you know, he's a very good soccer player and he, uh, got, had to get updated on or up to speed on English. And once he was able to do that, was able to go into the same school our kids were, and graduated and then went on with a soccer scholarship to uh, play college soccer at Gordon College up in Boston. Yes. And uh, he, he graduated this past spring, so he has his degree, and he's currently working at Chick-fil-A and trying to figure out exactly what God's called him to do, but he's doing great. He's 25 now. Mm-hmm. And a great story. So, <laughs> so is, it, is it possible to get uh, more children out of West Africa? Is there, is there, are there doors open? There have actually been seven, excuse me, seven other children from the same orphanage. Um, They actually live up in Virginia, but they have also been adopted out of that same orphanage. It is very difficult. Uh, Niger has very strict, specific laws um, that make it very difficult to adopt children from there. But yes, there have been some others within the past five years that have been adopted from Niger. Yeah, and Niger's going through a coup right now. So specifically Niger and Mali and the surrounding Burkina Faso countries are are really tough right now. And they've gone through a coup where they've overthrown the president. And so it's uh, it'd be really tough right now. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we're, we're veterans of international adoption. We adopted 14 children over, wow. over the years from, from four foreign countries. And, uh, they're all grown now and so forth, but it's, uh, you know, we always felt that uh, why don't they just open the doors, you know, and, and get these kids into homes around the world. Mm-hmm. But, but mm-hmm. it d- d- doesn't quite work that way, I guess, in the whole overall political scheme. 
But uh, I think it's political, Pat, and it's pride. The countries don't want to admit that they need yes. America specifically help, but but Christians help. Are they anti-Christian? That country was 94% Muslim. It mm. was a freedom of religion country, but that's because they didn't see Christians as a threat or a concern. Mm-hmm. I think as that movement grows there, that, that it could be very different. Tell me about the growth of, uh, we're, we're going back and forth here. This is like a, a game of tennis. Um, <laughs> uh, do you see uh, Chick-fil-A moving into these other countries? How, how, how expansive are they? So Chick-fil-A recently opened in Canada, and I think they've got eight restaurants there now. And then we opened two in Puerto Rico last year. And they just announced they're going to the U.K., I think by 2026, if I'm not mistaken. So just starting to branch out. We just opened our 3,000th restaurant in America, or I guess in total, if you include those other ones I mentioned. And uh, it's a um, growing company. Andrew Cathy has taken over for his dad, Dan, and it's doing extremely well. The, the future is bright. We're still uh, a lot of areas that we're not in. Uh, there's two states we're not in, one of those specifically Alaska, which uh, Haley and I mentioned at the end of our book. It was, we have now fo- moved our ministry and focused towards the people of Alaska, and there's not a chip play there yet. And, and why is that, and, and can that be changed? Sure. Yeah, I think it's mainly about supply chain and then just the difficulties of life in Alaska. You go from, you know, 20 hours of darkness in the winter and the, and the cold temperatures. We were there last week on a missions trip and it was negative 15 at times and it never got above 20 the whole time we were there. And so a lot of the population, even of Anchorage, leaves for the winter. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I think probably more more importantly, it's logistics and supply chain at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated with the number of chickens uh, that volunteer their lives uh, for, for, for Chick-fil-A sandwiches. Um, we call it God's chicken, Pat. So. Yeah, yeah, do, is there any way we can ever get our arms around that one? <laughs> it, it, uh, it's, it's amazing to, be, to do that six days a week and uh, still be closed on Sundays and do the volume these restaurants do. It's, it's for sure a lot of chicken. Well, our guest, we're talking to uh, Jason and Haley Bellotti, and uh, they've got a book out, Sink or Sit, One Couple's Journey of Answering God's Call to Step Out of the Boat. Uh, We'll be back to talk more with them. They uh, have two Chick-fil-A franchise restaurants in Atlanta, and uh, so stay with us. Always fun to talk about Chick-fil-A. Uh, This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. And uh, we do this show every weekend, done it for many, many years. And we always count it a a great honor when you decide to plug in with us and listen to some of these fascinating guests. Uh, More with the Bilates. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Jason and Haley Bellotti have two Chick-fil-A restaurant franchises in Atlanta. Their new book is out, Sink or Sit. One couple's journey of answering God's call to step out of the boat. I'm curious, Jason, um, what's chapter one of your book uh, about? How does it open? Dramatically? Well, it it starts with the foreword by Jeff Henderson. You may know him. He was a pastor with uh, Andy Stanley's Church North Point and then went on uh, to work with John Maxwell and is now back with Chick-fil-A. He was with Chick-fil-A before he was even a pastor. So we're excited to have him back under Chick-fil-A's branch of the corporate office leading up leadership. But after that, it really goes into Haley starts off by telling uh, our story and a little bit of uh, what we did in Niger and kind of introduces this idea of getting out of the boat and taking a chance of saying yes to God. Anything to add, Haley? 
Um, yes. So we just talk about um, during the pandemic, we weren't able to take a team to Niger. And I just really wanted to get back over to Niger to just love on all of the organizations and the people and the relationships that we had built. So I begged Jason if he would consider going. And um, after a little bit of prayer and and waiting for the pandemic to settle down some, Jason agreed uh, to go with me. And so he and I went together, which was not typical. We typically traveled to Niger separately and led different teams at different times of the year. And Jason and I went over and actually had the opportunity to do ministry together uh, one last time, with it, which was actually a beautiful gift. When you say do ministry together, what does that mean? Well, we both felt called uh, to serve the Lord in Niger. Jason's calling was to help partner and build Christian schools over in Niger. And when I had the privilege to go to Niger my first year, I really felt called to help women and children. And so we both led teams at different times of the year. My focus would be on women and children serving in women's prisons and in uh, clinics and uh, serving pastors' wives, things like that. And Jason's focus, like I mentioned, was on schools. So we would still have a ministry of the country or nation of Niger together, but just serving at different times with different focuses. Um, Jason, Chick-fil-A is known for quality. It's known for um, uh, friendliness to people. Um it's my pleasure. Uh, yes. what, what can all of us learn about quality, no matter what work we're in, uh, from, from Chick-fil-A? Well, I think God calls us to give our all in, in everything we do and to give our best. And I think there's uh, plenty of verses that talk about you will reap what you sow. And, and so I think the more time you spend uh, serving others and doing that with excellence, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to see that, whether it's business, whether it's uh, in another country, whether it's in your own home. But I know for, for us within Chick-fil-A, I think it started with the model of Truett Cathy and, and him serving others well and wanting to do it with excellence and creating a product that people could trust. And I do think that Chick-fil-A has a trusted brand where people trust us to do it right, to do it right the first time. And uh, we just take these 15, 16-year-olds and, and all the way up to adults and train them up to be great stewards of the opportunity within Chick-fil-A, and that includes uh, doing your very best, creating an excellent product, and uh, but now great customer service. How does one end up becoming a franchisee? That must be a big, big step, big deal. It is. They, they tell me, I'm not in the HR department, they tell me they had 100,000 applicants last year. Mm-hmm. And wow. you, when you boil it all the way down to that initial interest, I think you end up with about 2,500 they're seriously looking at, and then uh, they hire about 140 to 150 operators a year. And so there's no doubt the percentage is higher of the people that have come up through the system. I think it's about 60, 65% of operators have been hired as former team members, uh, but they also find some great talent uh, of people that have done great things of leadership and and been involved in other businesses out in the world that have come back to become Chick-fil-A operators. It is extremely difficult to become a Chick-fil-A operator. They, they put you through quite a rigorous process. They look at it like a marriage, and they expect us to be around and want us to be around, and they want to, uh, to be around a long time. They want to make sure that they make the right selection for that community and that restaurant. How did they decide where to put new Chick-fil-A's? Yes, it's it's definitely getting more and more difficult. Uh, the, the more well known we are, we I know that they look at site locations based on potential volume, potential traffic counts. Uh, but Chick-fil-A is so popular now, you, you know, you do run into some municipalities that don't even want Chick-fil-A there, even on that corner because of traffic. Uh, but also just uh, raising rents really high and, and leases really high if Chick-fil-A can't buy the land just because they know how successful we are. So it's becoming more and more difficult to find the right locations for Chick-fil-A, but they are looking at volume and uh, traffic counts and just uh, 
you know, the specific area, does that have one? Does it not have one? Will it fill a void uh, of a, a spot that maybe a Chick-fil-A is not at yet? We're chatting with Jason and Haley Bellotti, a franchisee of two Chick-fil-A restaurants in Atlanta. Uh, their book is out, Sink or Sit. So, Haley, what do you say to families that are interested in international adoption? What, 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 what do you tell them? Um, I would tell them to definitely make sure that the Lord has called them to do that. Uh, adoption is a hard process. It's a very rewarding process, but it's definitely a hard process. And then, of course, if the Lord has called us to something, he will definitely equip us. He will provide uh, the agencies, the people, the contacts that we need. Um, but definitely, I would say prayer is just the number one thing. I think some one person once interviewed Billy Graham and said, if there was any piece of advice that you could give to me, what would it be? And he said, he replied, never stop praying, constantly intercede with the Lord and let him guide you in your decisions. And so that would be my, my best piece of advice. Jason, I want to tell you two quick um, stories about yeah. Druid Catholic. I, I, I shared a program with him years ago in Atlanta, and uh, it was a group of teenagers, actually. And in that wonderful Georgia drawl, uh, he, he said to those kids, uh, you can be honest and successful at the same time in business. Mm. Um, translate that for me. Yeah, I think what he's saying is do the right thing, do it, you know, do it the right way, and God will reward you. And uh, I think a lot of what we hear today in today's world is you have to do, you have to fight to get ahead. And, and what I mean by fight is uh, doing it the wrong way and, and trying to cheat or, or, you know, it's about what you do or who you know to get to the top. And I think what, what Truett's saying is, hey, do your best. Let the Lord bless you. And um, if you're going to do the right thing, people will notice that. Um, my interpretation was uh, these kids were thinking, you know, to be successful in business, I'm going to have to do a lot of cheating and uh, corner cutting, and I've got to be dishonest. I, if I'm not, I can't make it. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, oh, yes, you can. Uh, you can be honest and successful at the same time. And then, and then the other thing he said that day, he said, uh, you know how many people out there need encouragement? He said, anybody who's, anybody who's breathing, that's who. Um, he, uh, he believed an awful lot in encouraging people, up, uplifting them. you have any memory of that, Jason? Absolutely. He, he would say that quote many times and, uh, and, and was said at our annual seminar, which I know you got to speak at one year. And yes. he just was, was encouraging to anybody he came in contact with, but he, he really believed that, that to start with encouragement towards others. Uh, and I think, yeah, that's a big uh, piece that we take as operators and know that within our team and try to create a culture that's encouraging. You know, I think there's a lot of great uh, people out there working in different brands and other restaurants, and I think they just haven't had the chance of encouragement at the top, and it starts with leadership. And, you know, to quote John Maxwell, everything rises and falls on leadership. And I think that is a big part of that is being able to encourage others uh, to do their best, uh, to, to literally check in on them daily and those kind of things within the, the restaurant. So, Haley, one thing we're closing here, um, summarize your book for us in uh, 60 seconds. <laughs> I would say that obedience is key, and I would encourage people to choose faith over fear. The things that God calls us to are going to be scary and sometimes don't make sense, but that's where God comes in and faith comes in. And so I think that we would all rather 
get out of the boat and risk sinking rather than choosing complacency in sitting. 30 seconds from you, uh, Jason, as we close here. Yeah, I think uh, same as, as Haley just shared is, is we're all called to do something. And I think it's, you never know what lies in the balance of that one. Yes. Mm -hmm. And for us, it was one yes to go to Niger Africa in 2006 that turned into 19 missions, mm -hmm. me leading Haley 16, uh, 8,000 students affected, a, a son adopted, but more importantly, the people that we got to take and spend time with. And it just has changed Haley and I's lives too, to give back in ways that we never could imagine because of one yes. Well, folks, you've been listening to Jason and Haley Bellotti from Atlanta. The book, Sink or Sit, go get it. Thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We'll see you next weekend. And stay tuned to AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.